Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Last week, we wrapped up our summer series in the Minor Prophets, and in three weeks, we're going to be uh, beginning the book, The Gospel of John, and we'll be in that for the better part of a year, but kind of in these in-between weeks, what we wanted to do uh, as elders was we wanted to capture kind of these next three weeks and talk about some values that we think are really important for you as a Christian uh, and, and for you as a family. And so, because the reality is, is that we are busy with what we value. If, if, you, are, if you run into someone and they say, hey, how are you doing? Um, if you're anything like me, a lot of times the answer to that is I'm, I'm busy. Like things are busy. Life is busy. Uh, the quarantine was still busy. Like everything's busy. But the reality is that uh, while we may be busy, we're, we're always busy with what we value. And uh, to which you might say, well, Jake, I'm often busy with my job, you know, and I, and I don't particularly like my job. So how can you say that, I've, that I'm busy with what I value and I'm busy with my job and I don't like my job? I go, fair enough. But it's likely that you do value having food on the table and a roof over your head, right? Like, so really your job is the means to the end of getting what you ultimately value. Food, shelter, recreation, things like that. We're always busy with what we value. And so over the next three weeks, we wanna highlight three values that we really think are important to incorporate into our lives as believers into the life of our family. And so if you're a note taker, today is kind of your day. I've got, you know, very linear points for you. And so over the next three weeks, what we're going to see, what we're, the values we're going to look at are knowing God in family worship, showing God in family service, and sharing God in family mission. Knowing God in family worship showing God in family service, and sharing God in family mission. So this morning, we're talking about knowing God in family worship. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. When's the last time you read Deuteronomy? So uh, it's, it's the fifth book from the front of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy was written by a guy named Moses. Moses is the guy that God chose to go to Egypt to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy shortly before he died. You get to the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies and passes off his leadership to a guy named Joshua. But before we get to that point, Moses writes a large part of the book of Deuteronomy. And the part of Deuteronomy that we're in today is Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this part of Deuteronomy is often referred to as the Shema, which means hear or listen. And this part of Deuteronomy is incredibly important. It was then and it even is today to, uh, to Judaism, to the Jewish faith. And so even people who, uh, like practicing Jews, even to this day, they will recite this portion of scripture about twice a day and for good reason because it's in Deuteronomy 6 that we see how we can know God. And what we're gonna see in Deuteronomy 6 are three ways we can know God. We can know God through, uh, we can know God through knowing him truly, through loving him wholly, 
and through telling his story. You might ask, you might come this morning, you're like, how can I know God? Maybe you're watching online. How can I know God? By knowing him truly, by loving him wholly, and by telling his story. And so let's see, where, where, where do I get that from Deuteronomy 6? Let's look. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel. There's the Shema. Listen. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, when Moses wrote these words, he was writing it to a very polytheistic culture. Here's what that means, polytheism. It's this belief that there are multiple gods for multiple purposes, multiple reasons. Like, like you, you can worship a variety of gods based on your circumstances, based on your needs, based on your desires. So you, you could have a god for, for harvest. You could have a god for fertility. You could have a god for pleasure. You could have a god for travel. Like there's multiple gods for multiple things. And so some people may choose to Worship or emphasis these gods, and other people may choose to worship or emphasis these gods. And, and you might hear that, and you might go, wow, that seems really primitive. Like, we are we're much more progressive. We've, we've evolved far beyond that state. We are way ahead of the curve. How in the world? That, that's cute, but it's kind of primitive. Well, not so fast. Because the reality is, is that what was polytheism for them in ancient times is now relativism for us in modern times. Here's what I mean. For them, it was many gods for many purposes. For us, to the modern mind, it's God is whoever you want him to be. God is whoever, whoever works for you. Whatever works for you is great. If God to you is this way, that's great, so long as it works. And if God to you is a different way, that's great so long as it works. God can be whoever he or she, whoever you want him to be. And what God is saying through Moses here in Deuteronomy 6 to that kind of thinking is no. You don't get to think of me however you want. You don't get to make me a form to your, uh, to your desires, to your preferences. No. You don't get to think of me however you want. You might say, well, that seems awfully narrow-minded. Do you mean to say that that there aren't multiple interpretations of who God is. There aren't a variety of ways to think of God. Are you, are you really saying, Jake, that, there, that, there's, that there's one way to think of God? Is that, that's so narrow. Well, it's not any more narrow than you. Because if, if, someone, if someone came up to you this afternoon and said, I like to think of you as a French woman who grew up in the 1920s the daughter of a seamstress, who despite all the cultural barriers, really pursued her dream of becoming a world-renowned tightrope walker, and you happen to love spicy foods. Okay. Now, unless that's you, like if that's you, I'd love to meet you after this service. Uh, but unless that's you, you'd go, interesting, because I'm a man who was born in the 80s. My mom was a teacher, I am terrified of heights, and I don't like spicy foods. And that person could go, well, that doesn't matter, because, because that's how I like to think of you. Now, it would be incredibly difficult for you to have a meaningful relationship with that person. Why? Because their imagination of who you are would always be in conflict with who you actually are. Because you're real. 
Like you're a real person. You're really there. Like there are things about you that are real. And what God is saying is that you don't get to just think however you want about me. If you really want to know me, you must know me truly. You must know me for how I have revealed myself to you. C.S. Lewis in his book, Surprised by Joy, kind of explains it this way. He says, he said, if, if Hamlet were ever to have any hope of knowing who Shakespeare is, it would only be because Shakespeare would have to write himself into the play. Hamlet, the character created by Shakespeare, the only way Hamlet could ever know who Shakespeare, the author, is, is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play. And what we have is that God, our God, has written himself into the story of human history, has revealed himself through his written word to show us who he is, what he is like, what he has done, and what he desires. If we are to know God, we are to know him truly for who he actually is, how he has revealed himself through his word in scripture. And as we go to scripture to see who God is, his spirit will help us see clearly to understand what the Bible says so that we can worship God truly, so that we can know him truly. So how can we know God? We need to know him truly by looking to his word. So know him truly. Number two, love him wholly. Look at verse five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. What is this saying? It's saying that who God is, what he has done, and what he expects is to permeate every aspect of our lives. Every aspect, every nook and cranny of our lives is to have in it who God is, what he has done, and what he expects. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just as like the preamble to your, to your dinner time when you pray for the food. Like, oh yeah, 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 we're, we're Christians, right? So we, we pray at this time. Like, no, who God is and what he has done is to permeate every aspect of our lives. And this is the way that God has designed that the next generation would know him. That it would be passed along. Passed along. Look at verse seven again. Repeat them to your children. Repeat these things to your children. Incorporate within the culture of your home a radical desire to know God and make him known. Repeat these things to your children. How do we teach the next generation who God is, what he has done, and what he expects? We do it vocally and we do it visibly. Remember, verse 7, repeat over and over. Repetition. Talk about them. Talk with your mouth, like with words coming out of your mouth. Don't just assume that your kids will understand your values, will understand your love for the Lord. Talk about them repetitively with your children, vocally, visibly. So bind them on your forehead. 
Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. If you have something on your forehead, like people can see it, okay? You've, you've been there where you're talking to someone and all of a sudden their eyes go from looking at your eyes, look at your forehead. You're like, what? Like, what, what's on there, you know? And because they can see it. Like who God is and what he has done is to, be, is to be vocally expressed in our homes and visibly expressed that we surround ourselves with reminders of what God has done vocally and visibly. And the glory and grace of God is to permeate our lives personally and professionally. Look at this, verse nine. Write them on the doorposts of your house, on the very place that you enter and exit your home. You can't help but walk through the doorposts of your home. You walk through the doorposts of your home to leave your house to get here. Put them in the most visible place of your home where you, can't, where, where you can't help but see what God has done and what he expects. Write them on the doorposts of your home. This is to be a personal commitment. But not only that, it's, it's to extend into our lives professionally. Where do I get that? And on your city gates. As Moses wrote this, the gates of the city were the primary place of commerce and trade in the ancient world were the primary place of coming and going. You went to the city gates to engage in the culture of your city, to engage in the economics of your city, to engage in the justice system of your city. Who God is and what he has done is to permeate every aspect of our lives as we express these things vocally and visibly, personally and professionally. If we are to know God, we must know him truly and love him Holy. And this is for parents specifically, okay? Parents, it is your job to show your children who God is and what he has done. It's your job. It's not Kendeo Kids' job. It's not Kendeo Youth's job. It's not Salt Company's job. Though all of those things are important and hopefully helpful to your family, it is your job as the parent, as the primary discipler and influencer in the life of your child, it's your job to show them who God is and what he has done. Know him truly, love him wholly, and number three, tell his story. Go down to verse 20 of chapter six says this, when your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh, and on all his household, but he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers." The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord, our God, for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. As parents who knew God truly and loved him wholly, there would come a point where the children would ask the question, Dad, why do we live this way? Why do we obey God's commands? Why do we care about this? Why? Now, you, maybe you grew up in a house, or may, maybe you've parented this way, where, uh, where when your kids ask, why do we obey, 
uh, your answer is um, because I said so, right? <laughs> or when you ask, why do we obey God? It's because God told us to. Their question as to why to obey a command, if you're anything like me, is often met with another command. Why do we obey God? Because we're told to obey him. Now that isn't wrong, but it's not where God starts. Look again at verse 20. Where does God start? When your son asks, what's the meaning of the decrees, the statutes and the ordinances? Tell him what? Tell him the story of our salvation. See, you and I want to just jump to verse 24. Like, Dad, why do we obey these commands? Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to. That's true. But before we get to verse 24, we need verse 21, 22, and 23. Dad, why do we obey these commands? What's with the rules? Why do we live this way? God says, tell them the story. Tell them the story of how you were slaves in a foreign land, in bondage under a foreign taskmaster, of how God heard our cries and stepped in to time and space to break the chains of our oppression and liberate us from bondage, to bring us out into a land of freedom. Tell them the story of how when Pharaoh changed his mind and was, was pursuing us in the desert and we came to the Red Sea and there was no way out, that God made a way when there seemed to be no way. Tell them the story of when we crossed over, the, how God led us to the land that he had promised where we would be his people and he would be our God. Tell them the story so that they will see that these commands are from a God who has loved them and saved them. Tell them the story so that they can see that the rules for the redeemed are a result of his radical grace. Isn't it interesting that the Ten Commandments are only given after Israel is rescued from Egypt? It's not as though God saw them in their, in their state in slavery and bondage, came and said, here's, here's Ten Commandments. Let's see how you do with those before we talk about this salvation stuff. That's not what God does. God sees them. They couldn't free themselves. They're in slavery to a foreign taskmaster and God by his own favor and grace brings them out. And it's only after he accomplishes their salvation that he gives them the commandments that this is how you are to live as a saved people. Christian obedience is always meant to be rooted in the grateful remembrance of the unearned grace of God. That's the basis, the foundation. Dad, why do we obey these commands? Yes, because God told us to, but before that, it's because God has saved us by no work of our own. See, the gospel is not, look at all these things that I have done to get to God. No, the gospel is, look at what God has done to get to us. Tell the story of your great salvation. Do you tell the story? Do you remind yourself? Do you rehearse the gospel to yourself and to your family? Daily, telling the story of the great salvation that God has brought in Jesus Christ. If we are to know God, we must know him truly. 
We must love him wholly, but we must also tell his story. Tell the story within your home. Tell the story within your mind. Tell the story. Repeat it to your children. Have your kids ever heard the story of how you came to know Christ? Do they get tired of hearing the story of how Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve, taking the wrath of God and rose again victoriously so that we could be with him and reconciled to one another. Do they get tired of hearing that? By the time they get tired of hearing that is about the time that you just started to say it enough. Tell the story. All right, so how do we do this? How do we lead ourselves in knowing God truly, in loving him wholly, and in telling his story? Well, a book that has shaped me tremendously over the last year is this little book. It's called Family Worship. It's by Donald Whitney. I would highly, highly recommend this book. It's 70 pages. It's $8 on Amazon. I didn't buy a bunch of them because I can never, I'm terrible at guessing how many people want these So, and you know how to use the internet. So Family Worship, eight bucks, 70 pages. You could read this in like two sittings. But in this book, Donald Whitney answers that question. How do we know God truly, love him wholly, and tell his story? Three things. How do we do this? We read, we pray, and we sing. We know God truly by seeing him in his word. Church, read the Bible. Read the Bible for yourself and read the Bible with others. Read the Bible with your family. God has chosen to reveal who he is truly in his word. If we're to know him, we must know him truly. Read the Bible and pass it along to your children. So how do you love God wholly? Love him in consistent prayer. Love him in consistent prayer. You talk to those that you love. Prayer is simply talking to God. Pray individually. Pray as a family. And not just the fleeting prayers of like, like God, thank you for this food. Help us have a good day. Amen. Like, like model for your children what it looks like to talk to God. Love God in consistent prayer. And how do you tell his story? Tell his story in joyful song. What do we see in Exodus 15? Right after Israel crosses through the Red Sea, the, the, the water comes crashing down on the Egyptians. They've been saved. The very next thing they do in Exodus 15 is they sing a song. They sing the song of Moses, telling the story of their salvation. And the reason for that is because songs are a gracious gift from God to make the story of our salvation as portable as possible. Because the reality is, is that you're pro- if I ran into you this afternoon, you probably wouldn't be humming my sermons. If you, if you were, that'd be, that'd be weird. It'd be kind of flattering, but it'd still be a little weird. You're like, oh, I don't know what key that's in. You know, like, you probably aren't humming my sermons. But we get songs stuck in our head. God has given us the beautiful gift of music and singing to ingrain within us a mechanism that is portable and memorable to remember the story of our great salvation. You say, well, praying out loud is hard enough. Now you want me to sing? Have you ever heard me sing? Like, I'm bad. It's like, yep, you are. Most of us are. But we don't sing because we're good. We sing because he is. 
We don't sing because it's our natural disposition. We don't sing because, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of artsy. It's like, no, no, no. We sing because he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Sing to the Lord a new song. So, super practical time here, all right? How do we do this? How do we incorporate reading, singing, and praying within our lives, within our families, all right? Now, this is gonna look different depending on your stage of life, depending on your age, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have kids, whether you don't. There's a lot of ways that this can look. There's a lot of flexibility here. Now, a few ideas. If you're single, a way you can incorporate reading, singing, and praying into your life is read the Bible for yourself or with a roommate or with a friend. Sing by yourself with a roommate and pray by yourself or with a roommate. Just carve out. This takes like probably 10 minutes, all right? But you could do it that way. If you're married and you don't have kids or maybe your kids are out of the house, you could commit to reading, praying, and singing with your spouse either before you go to work or before you go to bed and create that natural rhythm in your home. Now, if you've got teenagers, you might be listening to this going like, yeah, good luck getting my teenager to do, one, anything I say, let alone this, right? I go, I hear you, all right? So this could look like, just an idea, it doesn't have to be this, this could look like setting up a weekly, bi-weekly, maybe monthly, like Saturday breakfast where you take your kids out for breakfast, your teenager, because they got to eat anyway. Like take them out for breakfast and over pancakes or whatever. Just, hey, what, share with them what you're reading or, you know, engage with them on what they're reading in scripture. Crank up the music in the car. Like, I get it. You know, your kids, your kids barely want to be. Your teenager barely wants to be out in public with you, let alone hear you sing. So, like, crank the music, you know, like, just, and, and let them see mom and dad just, like, belting it out. Maybe they'll join in. Maybe they won't. That's not, that's not your deal, but you're modeling for them, seeing to the Lord, and you're like, yeah, but had the praying part, I go, hey, write out your prayers for your teenage kids and send it to them in a text. So maybe you're not sitting down, maybe you don't have the time, or maybe they're not, they wouldn't do that with you, but you can send them a text with a written out prayer of you praying over them. They're gonna get it. Whether they read it or not isn't up to you. But incorporating this regular habit into your home, into your personal time with the Lord, and into your family culture is incredibly valuable. Now, if you have younger kids, uh, instead of just telling you kind of what you can do, I want to show you this. This is more the stage of life that, that we're in. And so I just want to model for you kind of what we do. So what we're doing right now is uh, hold on to your seats because we're going to kind of like time warp. We're not going to, we're no longer in the third service at Candeo right now. Okay. We are now in uh, the Herring living room at eight o'clock tonight. All right. So it's eight o'clock. It's right before bed. Uh, you, we, I have sent you to your room to get your jammies, okay? And so you've all got your pajamas on. And what I've done is I've gotten your snack, okay? You got your before bed snack, and that's multi-grain Cheerios with raisins. You don't need to have the raisins if you don't want them. I don't care. And so you're sitting in my living room. You have your pajamas on, and you're eating your snack. And so what I do is I grab... I grab our Jesus Storybook Bible, which if you don't have one of these, I would highly, again, these two books, Family Worship, Jesus Storybook Bible. All right, I get nothing for, for putting this out there. Okay, so, but 
And even if you don't have kids, get this Bible. It is fantastic. So I, I don't prepare anything, okay? You go, I don't know how to preach a sermon. You're not preaching a sermon. You're not even doing a Bible study. You're just reading the Bible. The most preparation I do for this time is finding this Bible because I don't know where the kids put it, you know? So it takes five minutes to find it. So I grab the Bible. There, you're, they, you are now eating your Cheerios. You're on the couch in our living room. And what I'll do is I'll just open the Bible to the next story, you know, that we read last night, and I'll just read the next one. That's as much prep as I do. So now you're going to listen in our living room. I'm going to read you the next story that we have in Scripture. So it'll be up on the screen for you as well. Moses and God's people escaped out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They didn't know the way, but God knew the way, and he would show them. I will bring you to a new home, a special land, God promised them. I will look after you. I am with you. God sent a big cloud for them to follow, a pillar of smoke stretching up to the sky. It moved in front of them as they walked and shaded them from the blazing heat of the day. And when it was time to rest, it stopped. All through the cold desert nights, it gave them the warm glowing, it, gave, it kept them warm, glowing like fire. God led his people through the desert to the edge of the great sea. They were just wondering how to cross it when suddenly they heard a terrible thundering and pounding. It sounded almost like horses' hooves. They shaded their eyes to look back and screamed. It was. Pharaoh and his army were coming to get them. Pharaoh had changed his mind again. Get my slaves back, he screeched, and charged out into the desert after them with 600 of his fastest horsemen and every single chariot in Egypt. What were God's people going to do? In front of them was a big sea. It was so big, there was no way around it. But there was no way through it. It was too deep. They didn't have any boats, so they couldn't sail across. And they couldn't swim across because it was too far and they would drown. And they couldn't turn back because Pharaoh was chasing them. They could see the flashing swords now, glinting in the baking sun and the dust clouds and the chariot after scary chariot surging towards them. So they did the only thing there was left to do. Panic! We're going to die, they shrieked. Don't be afraid, Moses said. But there's nothing we can do, they screamed. God knows you can't do anything, Moses said. God will do it for you. Trust him and watch. But there's no way out, they cried. God will make a way, Moses said. Another minute and it would have been over. But then the strangest thing happened. God made the pillar of smoke move. It moved behind his people and hid them from the Egyptians. Then God sent a strong east wind to blow all night long. It blew on the water of the big sea. It blew it to the left and it blew it to the right until it blew it into two towering walls of water. And there, right through the middle of the sea, a muddy pathway opened up and God's people walked across on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to follow, the walls of water crashed back down on them and swallowed them up. God's people were safe. They danced and laughed and sang and thanked God. When there had been no way out, God made a way. Many years later, once again, God was going to make a way where there was no way. From the beginning, God's children had been running from him and hiding. God knew his children could never be happy without him, but they couldn't get back to him by themselves. They were lost. They didn't know the way back, but God knew the way. And one day, he would show them. So that's our story for tonight. And probably what's happened by this point is that 
Uh, one of you, one of your kids has crawled under the coffee table. Uh, the other one has spilled their Cheerios all over the place and they've only halfway paid attention. And that's fine. And so you just keep reading <laughs> and hope that they got something, right? And so we'll read the story and there's no like great big commentary or anything like that. We read the story and then I'll grab the guitar off the wall and we'll sing a song. Now, you don't have to play the guitar. You can not play anything and you can give them chopsticks or spoons or whatever. They can bang it on the table or whatever and join in with the singing, all right? But if you do happen to play the guitar, so I grab the guitar off the wall and I just choose, I, we've got like five songs that we just kind of like rotate through. And the great thing is, is that because of the repetition, the kids don't really have to be able to read. And so over time, they begin, to under, they begin to remember the lyrics just because you've done it so consistently. So one of the songs that we sing in our house at bedtime is In Christ Alone. And so because you are now in my living room, we're going to sing In Christ Alone together. So let's join in and sing together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, the fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as the wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live There in the ground There in the ground His body lay The light of the world by darkness Up from the good he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. 
sing a song, and they half the time they sing, half the time they don't. Half the time they're still under the coffee table. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where here's why you wouldn't do this, okay? Here's a couple reasons why. The first reason, if you're anything like me, my pride and my ego are so fragile that the only thing it takes me to not do something is to be afraid that someone would roll their eyes at me. Like the thought of trying to do something and, but then thinking, what if my kids or what if my spouse or what if whoever's around, they go, what are they doing? That's all it takes for me to go like, nah, too hard, not worth it, right? So, the, so that's maybe a reason you wouldn't do any of this. Another reason could be that for you to begin doing this, either personally or within your family, for you to start doing this would be to admit that you haven't been doing something that you should have for a long time. So the fear of embarrassment or the fear of being wrong can seem insurmountable. Like, like I have felt all of those things. Like this, this does not come natural to me in any way. But can I just encourage you to take a step of faith, to trust God through the embarrassment, to trust God through being wrong and see what he'll do in your heart and the heart of your family and the hearts of your children, all right? And, and it's chaotic, okay? It does not look pretty. It's not, it's nothing like this. This is tame. You guys are all sitting there nicely. You're smiling. You're at least humoring the process, right? Like your kids are, they're not that socialized yet. So if they don't like it, they'll let you know, you know, but here's what's true. When you feel like you're like, am I, is this, is this doing anything? It doesn't feel like it's doing anything. It doesn't seem like they're paying attention. It doesn't seem like it's making any difference. Here's the thing. Just like massive canyons are formed by trickling streams in the same way, our hearts and the hearts of our family are formed by the powerful trickle of holy habits. It won't feel like you're doing anything. You'll walk away most times being like, that was a waste of time. It's not. If anything, your children see, that must be important to my parent. That must be important to mom. That must be important to dad. And over time, by God's grace, hopefully it'll become important to them. Cultivate the powerful trickle of healthy and holy habits. And so what we do, we read the Bible, we sing. It's taking longer because I'm explaining it, but it takes about 10 minutes. And then what I'll do is I'll go around the room, ask them how I can pray for, for them, for my kids, for my wife. And is there anything that you like today we can thank Jesus for? Is there anything that you're anxious about, you're scared of, that we can pray for Jesus' help? And then we'll pray and I'll send them off to bed. So I'd love to pray for you as my, like, church family here, and we'll join together in worship, telling the story again of what God has done in Christ. So I'd love to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came, that you have rescued us. Thank you, Jesus, for living a perfect life, for dying the death that we deserved, and for rising again from the grave so that we can know you and be with you. 
Lord, we pray that we would obey you with happy hearts. Help us to be joyful in our obedience. We pray that as we rest tonight, that we would rest in you, knowing that you do more while we sleep than we do while we work. God, and help us to wake up tomorrow to live lives that honor you and bring you glory. Help us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.